Well, we'll be in uh, James 1, 19 through 21 this morning, um, but before we dive in, uh, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear this morning, that he would uh, keep us from deceit, that we would be reminded also together again of the only gospel that has the power to save, which is Christ and him crucified. So let's, let's pray. Father, we, we do not have the power in and of ourselves to save ourselves or anyone else. Uh, but Christ does, your, your word does. And so God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear it now, to receive your truth, uh, not just for knowledge's sake, but that it would take root in us, that we would be transformed by it. So Lord, I, I pray your word would penetrate our hearts this morning, that it would convict and encourage and renew us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, would you turn with me in your Bibles to James 1, verses 19 through 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back there just by our giving boxes. Uh, there's also some of these uh, James journals. Some of you guys might have these. These are free. These are our gift to you. There's a bunch of those back there, so feel free to, to grab one of those or, or both and, and let that be our gift to you this morning. If you're on your uh, device, we'll be uh, using the ESV translation this morning. If you want to follow along, change that to follow along more clearly. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time or uh, in line or, or in person, uh, we are going through a series in the book of James uh, called The Wisdom from Above, as you guys can tell by the beautiful sign behind me. And uh, this, is, this is week six through our, through our letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And it was believed to be written around 40 to 45 AD, which is seven to 12 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And this was written to Jewish Christians who were living in poverty outside of Palestine and being persecuted for following Christ as their savior. And I just wanna, I just wanna give you guys kind of a, a quick recap and just look over the back, uh, the past five, five weeks or so as to where we've been so that we can, we can have some context then for where we're at today. So week, week one, if you remember, we looked at counting it all joy as we face trials, knowing that they are testing the faith that has been given to us, that we may be complete and lacking in nothing. And week two, we, we looked at the wisdom that comes from God and being, being a people that trust in his wisdom and go to him for it and, and aren't double-minded, always looking for better wisdom. Week three, we looked at not finding our worth in what we do or what we don't have in worldly standards, but resting in the worth and the richer riches of Christ who has brought us near to God. In week four, we looked at our own sinfulness and how God doesn't tempt us, but it's actually the desires of our hearts that cause us to either resist or give in to temptations. In week five, last week, we looked at the good and perfect gifts of God, the greatest of these being Christ who brought us forth through the word of truth, which is the good news of his life, death, and resurrection to pay for that sinfulness. And today we're gonna look at how God's word of truth that saves us when humbly received and obeyed works in us and through us for righteousness sake. And so let's look at it together now. If you're not already there, go ahead and grab it. James 1, 19 through 21, follow along as I read. 
says this, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Well, this is the word of the Lord, church. And I think, uh, I think Ronnie asked me to take this passage uh, because he works with me. And so he just knows that I am, I'm really, really good at everything that's in this passage. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely be laughing about that. It should be, should be super funny. Uh, I, I'm kidding. I'm definitely kidding. Uh, and I, I say that only because I want you guys to know uh, I'm not preaching these things from a place of excellence or arrival. Uh, I'm preaching these same truths to my heart this morning that I'm, that I'm preaching to you. I, I need these things. And uh, actually, Ronnie knows that probably better than anyone, uh, and, except for my wife. My wife knows that a little bit better than, than he does. And uh, my wife is in the back here. Uh, her name's Kathy. We've been, um, we've been married for five years now, coming up on six in January. Now, one thing about Kathy is she loves spontaneity, all right? And so do I when it's planned, all right? <laughs> And this works itself out in our relationships in a lot of ways, but especially when it comes to our vacations and our getaways, all right? I I love details. So I love love researching where we're going to go. I love knowing all the cool restaurants that are in the area. I like knowing what's on the menu. I want to be prepared when I get in there. Gosh, I even like knowing like where all the parking areas are in the area. That's, uh, go ahead, judge me. You're fine. And one thing that I always plan into our trips is going to a local antique store, all right? Now, I don't like antique stores, like, at all. Like, I despise them, actually. But Kathy really enjoys them. At least so I had thought. (laughs) It wasn't until this summer that after five years probably 10 to 15 times of excruciating pain of going to these little antique shops that we are walking through one and I'm getting like so antsy and our son who's three is like running around touching everything which you don't do at antique shops and so I finally look at her and I kind of frustratingly say can we can we get out of here like can we please just go all right and she looks at me and she's like yeah like of course so we go we get in the car and she turns to me and she goes hey, why do you like going to antique stores so much? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I, I don't like going to antique stores. I hate them. Like, I despise them with the deepest of hatred. It's like antique stores and cats on the Scott Long hate list. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, but I know that you love them so much, so I just always plan them into our trips. And she goes, yeah, I, I don't love them. I... I've actually told you before that I don't love them. Like, I am not into this. Now, you can imagine my surprise and be honest, slight amount of anger that came up inside of me that I had wasted all this time in these stinking antique stores. And I know my wife. She's, she's not a liar. She probably for sure had told me at some point that she didn't like antique stores. I just didn't listen. Luckily, that probably never happens to any of you in your marriages. But she definitely told me, and we are married, all right? She is a part of me. I am a part of her. We are one. But that doesn't magically just mean that we know everything about each other, does it? Or that we don't need to remind each other of things about ourselves. We have to, we have to speak. 
we have to listen and we have to communicate with one another and know how to relate to one another, all right? This is, this is true of every relationship. And so words matter, don't they? Words matter. Sam Alberry, a pastor and theologian, says, what we do with words, those, both those we speak and those spoken to us greatly affect the way we live. All right, so just like Kathy's words revealed something to me on how to relate to her, God's word is how he has chosen to reveal himself and relate to us. And therefore, how we approach and we receive God's word matters. All right, hearing it corporately like we are doing now, but also individually in our reading and our studying, it, it matters. And James reminds us this morning of the power that hearing and receiving the word of God has in the lives that we live. All right, so if you're taking notes, here's three things that we're gonna look at in the text this morning. So the word of God produces righteousness, the word of God roots out sinfulness, and the word of God saves our souls. So the word of God produces righteousness, the word of God roots out sinfulness, and the word of God saves our souls. So let's look back at the text again. Put your eyes on it with me, if you will. Verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, I know that first glance, uh, this, this sounds a little something like we might find inside a fortune cookie, doesn't it? Or like painted on one of those big rocks in the office of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I mean, these sound, these sound like just good words to live by, don't they? Like, wouldn't everyone do well to slow down and to be quick to listen better to others, to be slow and thoughtful in their response, to uh, intently hear what others say and when we disagree, not lash back angrily? I mean, all that, that all sounds really good, does it not? Like, just a good thing to do. But these are not just words for anyone. These, these words are specific to the bride of Christ. And when obeyed, they help us to live out our faith. That's what, that's what James is talking about here, he, how we live out the righteousness that we have been given in Christ, which we were given when we heard the word of truth and we responded in faith and repentance. It's this word that brought us forth as we looked at last week. It's this word that has the power to save our souls as we'll look at this morning. And so James starts off here and he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. All right, so he's, he is clearly addressing those that have been redeemed by Christ, those who are a part of the family of God. And he then tells us what we should know and why we should know it. Right? He says, let every one of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not produce righteousness. Now, James is not saying here that doing these things will just make us believers, all right? That if anyone just acts these things out, then they are good with God. That's, that's not the type of righteousness that he is talking about here in the sense of being able to earn our right standing with God. That would be anti-gospel. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that can make us righteous before God. Only the blood of Christ can do that. But what he is saying is that because you have been made righteous through the word of God, to now live out your righteousness this way. All right, in other words, another way of saying it is that, is that the word 
of God produces a righteous saving work in us that should be worked out in a righteous living work. All right, because listen, I know, I know plenty of men and women that are great listeners, all right? They are slow and they are thoughtful in their responses. And they don't get easily angered or offended that don't believe that Christ is the son of God. And they deny their complete and utter need for him as their savior and king. And so why do we need to hear these words from James? Why did, why did these Jewish Christians need to hear these words from James? Well, think about what they are going through as James is writing here. Think about the trials and the poverty and the persecution that they're experiencing. Now think about how you are tempted to respond when you experience similar things. See, James knows that is in times of severe hardship and trial that we can be much slower to listen, much quicker to speak out and to lose our tempers, not just with those around us, but also when we are confronted with the truths in God's word. And James is pointing back to God's word here. He's pointing back to Ecclesiastes 5.1, which says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, these Jewish Christians that James is writing to here, they would have known those Old Testament writings, especially wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes. But they didn't yet have the canonical New Testament written out on pages like we have the benefit of now, all right? They didn't have five Bibles laying around at home with Matthew to Revelation that they could just go home and read whenever they wanted. They were only hearing the words of the New Testament, the truth of the gospel when they heard it preached by men like James. All right, and so listening intently was essential to them in these trying times. But it was obviously something that was becoming an issue for them in their trials and their hardships, which is why James is addressing it here. And I think we, we can relate and we can understand this because it becomes an issue for us in our trials and our hardships, doesn't it? We can become so consumed by our situations that it's, it's all we can think about and wanna talk about. I mean, look around at, at America right now, all right? Look around, probably most of our conversations I can bet, I can bet revolve around either COVID and our opinions on it, our politics and our opinions on it. And because our words matter, if those are the things that fill our conversations, they're also the things that are filling our minds. And when left unchecked, we can become filled with angst, on edge. Everything seems to set us off in a quick rage when we disagree with someone, even another brother or sister in Christ. And we start to become content. Listen, we start, we start to become content to not look or listen to the wisdom that is given to us in God's word the wisdom from above. But we would prefer worldly advice and experience to lead us because it often gets us quicker results and it feeds sinful, sinful desires that we have. 
but it does not produce the type of righteous living that God wants. That's what James is saying to them and us. He's saying, remember the intent of God's word. Remember what it is, which is to obey him who has saved you. God's word provides for what he requires, which is holiness and righteousness, and it's been given to us in the personhood of Jesus Christ. Not just that we would believe it theologically in our heads, but that we would draw near to it, that we would live it out. And so yes, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, slow to anger, because you have been made righteous, and because that's the kind of righteous living God asks of us and delights in according to his word. In these next verses, James uses this imagery of putting off of unrighteousness or putting off of sin, the things that are not of Christ, like, like taking off dirty, filthy clothes and putting on and receiving the righteous covering, covering and the inward dwelling of the truth of God's word. And this brings us to our second point this morning, which is the word of God roots out sinfulness. So look again with me at the text, verse 21 says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. All right, so James goes from narrowing in on the act of unrighteous and quick anger, and he broadens out here by saying, therefore, put away all sin. All right, since, since you have been made righteous through the word of God, let it have its full effect in you, not just in these few things, but in all of your life. And God's word is in the work of delivering from sin. It's the very word that became flesh, Christ who took on the wrath of God towards our sinfulness, past, present, and future. And it's God's written word that reveals sinful acts to us and calls us to put them off and live lives of righteousness and holiness. And this is not something that we can just do in our own strength, but only with God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit can we put our sin to death. So God's word takes seriously our sin and our responsibility as his people in killing it in our own lives. And the question is, are we? Are we taking it seriously? Are we putting our sin to death? Some of you, um, you may know, I, uh, I love to hunt, all right? Even though I haven't got to do much of it in the past couple years because of Kathy and I's life stage, but one of my dreams is to uh, go black bear hunting someday. Now when I go, when I go, this is for my wife, when I go, I'm not gonna be taking my son's Nerf gun with me, all right? I, I'm not gonna take that. I will quickly go from being the hunter to the hunted, all right? I'm going to take a 4570 with me. For those of you that don't know, that's a big gun. All right, I wanna make sure that thing is down, like not getting up, not going to hurt me or kill me. Are we going after our sin this way with the power and intensity that God's word commands? Or are we, are we just trying to get rid of it in our own strength, to just cover it up? James doesn't say cover it up. He says put it off, expose it. Bring it to light, All right? James tells us in chapter 5, 16 of the book of James, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So how do you put off your sin? 
you confess it. You confess it and you turn from it knowing this. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteous. Know that because of Christ, when you confess and you repent of your sin, you will be met with grace and forgiveness from God. Let that stir you in your fight against sin. Right, Colossians 3, 5 through 8 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. James is saying, See to it that the sin that Christ has paid for no longer has dominion over you. Put it to death. Kill it. Don't let it reign over you. John Owen, a, uh, a theologian in the 1600s, he has this famous quote. Maybe you've heard it before. He says, either be killing sin or it will be killing you. Is sin killing you right now? Are you, are you lobbing nerf darts at your sin? Or through the power of God's word, are you killing it? Because I want you to know this, it wants to kill you. Sin breeds sin, and when left unrestrained in your life, meaning not confessed and repented of, it has a way of playing itself out in our actions and our responses and keeping us from living the righteous lives that we've been called into. All right, think of it like, think of it like weeding. All right, what happens when you don't keep up with weeding those flower beds around your house, when you allow those weeds to just run rampant, what happens? Well, it, it ends up choking out all the beautiful plants that are around it, doesn't it? Right? If left unchecked for long enough, it ends up becoming so overgrown that it becomes difficult to tell if there's even flowers in there. Much is the same with our own sin when left unchecked. It takes over the good and the flourishing righteous lives that God has called us in Christ to live out. It's why James tells us here, get rid of it. Get rid of it because Christ has delivered you from its dominion over you. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Rest in that grace. Rest in the grace that God has given you in Christ, that he has called you out of sin into his marvelous light, put sin to death. So the word of God produces righteousness, it roots out sinfulness, and lastly, the word of God saves our souls. Let's look again at the text. The end of verse 21 says, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right, so how do we make sense of this? I mean, what, what is James saying here? How do, we, how do we receive what's already implanted in us? What is he saying? 
Well, he's again pointing back to the word of God, to the covenant that God made with his people, a covenant of which his righteous law that was once written externally on stone would now be internally written on the hearts of all who will be given faith in Christ as their savior and king. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, you don't have to turn there with me, but feel free if you want. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The, the best analogy that I could come up with here, I'm sorry, forgive me, all analogies break down, but is water. Our bodies are made up of 60 to 70% water and yet we can't go three days without drinking it, without dying. And every one of us knows the feeling of being outside all day in the hot sun working or for you kids playing a sport or a game with your friends and coming in in that thirst that can only be quenched by a cup of water. This is the type of humble longing that James would plead with us to have for the word of God. Right? Is that water already in you? Yes. Does it take away your need for water? No. Is the word of God already in and written on the hearts of every believer that's been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Yes. Does it take away your need to hear and to receive that word? No. Is the word of God as essential to you as water? Do you, do you feel your need for it? Do you, do you thirst for it? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of, or the word of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. To receive God's word with meekness is to come before it humbly and consistently receiving its goodness so that as these Jewish believers were, when we are faced with trials and temptations as all of us are right now, God's word is shaping our responses, not our sinful hearts. Receiving God's word in humility is to hear with the intent of it changing you, not you changing it to fit your thoughts and your life experience and your opinions. Because you know the thing about that water when you are so thirsty that you feel like you could die? You don't try to make it something else. You don't question its thirst quenching ability. You don't ask the giver, hey, is, is that Dasani? Because that's my preferred version of water. You just receive it with neediness because it has the power to quench your thirst. Do you view God's word with that same neediness, with that same power, or has God's word become something that you just appreciate? You're not actually going to listen to it in all parts of your life, but you're glad it's there when you want it because you can twist it into proving your side. Is that, is that how you think of God's word? Or do you depend on it? Do you relish in its ability to make you more into the image of Christ? 
Is it the power to save your soul? I want to be so clear here that James isn't saying the sufficiency of Christ lacks that power. Quite the opposite. He's saying, be reminded of that again. That's the power of God's word. Go back to it. See the truths that declare what Christ has done to save you. And let that stir you to become more like him and his righteousness. We call this sanctification. That's the righteousness God desires to see us live out in this life. And it's not something that happens in a vacuum. It happens by receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So is God's word important? Is it important that we are quick to hear it, slow to respond and become angry at it when it confronts something in us, especially in times of trial and in hardship? And the answer is a resounding yes. It is essential to the fullest because it's through hearing the word of God that righteousness has been given to us, that we who were once far off have been brought from death to life. This is the good news. It's through God's word that we are shown our sinfulness and given the power to respond in the putting off of its wickedness by the Holy Spirit that is in us. And it's through humbly receiving his word that we are being reminded that all of those things are producing in us an eternal weight of glory, the salvation of our souls. God's word is not only the power to save our souls future tense, but the power to live out that reality now in our sanctification, even as imperfectly as we do. So are we going to it? Are you going to it, trusting in it, being quick to hear what it's saying to you, studying it intently and praying that the spirit would give you understanding of it, that it would shape you more into the image of Christ, amen? Now listen, I, I know that these are Man, they're hard words. They, they're hard, hard words for me, for my own heart. And I don't want them to come off as feeling condemning. All right, so please don't go out from here this morning feeling condemned. Feel conviction, but don't feel condemnation. And if you have questions about something that I said this morning, or if you, if you haven't heard the word of God or the good news of Christ preached and it did something in your heart and you want to know more about what Christ has done for you, Man, myself or Zach or anybody that was on the stage this morning, we would love the chance to talk to you about it. And finally, know that, know that these are things that we are all struggling through together, all right? Things that I'm struggling through. James knew it. That's why he writes these words. Look to Christ this morning. Let that be my encouragement to you. Look to Christ this morning. Look to how he lived these things out and know that, know that even though we fail in these things, he has not and he has secured you. Let that hope stir you as we strive together to live lives that look more like him until the day that we will finally be with him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we are staking our whole eternity on the promises of your word, on the promises of Christ, on a life that we have not lived. 
And I pray this morning that our hearts would be encouraged and know more fully the truth of your word and that we will not be put to shame. You will bring us by the power of your word to the completion of the saving work that you have begun in us. But help us to live that out now. So God, help us to be quick to listen and to rely more fully on your word. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.